<laughs> How you doing, everybody? Welcome back. I'm excited to be back on the mic for the Decisive Podcast Series Live Special. Oh, I just love these episodes. They're beautiful because I have gone out on a wild search to locate people that I think that have something special. And today we have from the UK originally, but resides in Berlin. His name is J-Lab, a.k.a. John Dickens, resident for Free Rotation, one of my favorite festivals in the world. We will get information about him and his creative personality. But before we do that, I want to remind you to head over to our Decisive SoundCloud page, our Instagram page, the Decisive Facebook group, and say hello. Reach out to us and let us know you exist. Don't forget this weekend, Street Live. I'm excited about this one. We have Thomas Vanna. We have Das Stotkent. We have myself with Jack Master Rob. We'd like to see you at the Decisive Showcase. September 8, 19, from Fieldsenur to Oxenur at the Street Live Festival Dresswork Collective Stage. We have a four-hour music presentation for you. And as usual, we'll be taking a listener on a musical journey through techno and drum and bass. It's a wonderful cultural event all weekend long, Friday to Saturday. Make sure you join us, yeah? So with that said, let's listen in to the interview, very interesting interview, with my guest today, J-Lab, a.k.a. John Dickens. Enjoy. <laughs> okay, well, let's get right to it. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Let me let me start by saying, um, after hearing a snippet of your J-Lab uh, improvisational live performance uh, a few months ago in Wales at the uh, incredible uh, Free Rotation Festival, it was... It was a must, shall I say, to invite you to the program today <laughs> to learn more to more learn more about you and your creative personality. So, Jay Lab, welcome. It's a delight to have you on the Decisive uh, Live series today. Welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. Yeah, it was uh, it was nice to get the invite. A bit of an honor, you know. Uh, yeah, it's good to hear. <laughs> I didn't know you knew about the uh, Decisive. Okay. Well, yeah, well, I, mean, I knew a little bit about it. I knew you did it. I mean, you know, I get, I, it's like everything these days you hear about so many podcasts and stuff like it's that. It's crazy, right? It's crazy, yeah, yeah. And it, it's hard to find the good ones. Are you, um, are you doing many? Um, not really, no. I've done a couple over the years. The last one, I was actually thinking back to when the last one was. Um, I did a live gig that was streamed. I've done a couple of them, but I think the last one was 2012. Yeah, 2012. I hope you don't mind if we dig in and learn more about you, the man behind yeah, the music. On. Yeah. So first of all, Jay, um, I'd like to know, I guess everyone would like to know the roots of your origin, where you're from. Well, I grew up in the Midlands in England. Um yeah, yeah, I was born in a town called Wellingborough and I lived in Northamptonshire until my early 20s when I went to London. And um, I've always loved music, um, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, you know, exposed to a lot of good music. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy, yes. You know, early musical memories, obviously growing up in Britain, you know, the Beatles and David Bowie and, you know, Tamla Motown. And I had a love of Slade when I was a small kid, which okay. was never really me, yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah. It's a different I mean, batch of performance right there, Slade. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Are you surprisingly sophisticated band when you listen to them? Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot more going on there than you think. As when I was at my mum's a couple of years ago and... I took her car out and I thought, I'll grab a CD. I didn't have any music with me. I grabbed a CD off the shelf. Oh, Slade, I haven't listened to them for about 30 years. Banged it in the car. And I thought, my God, you know, some of the arrangements and the way the music was structured, I was sort of, God. But, but you know, they really knew what they were doing. <laughs> and Wellingborough, what is their life living like there? Uh, oh God, no, nothing really going on, you know. You know, typical sort of small English town. But for uh, you back then as a young and it was probably lively, or? Until, um, until you branched out a little bit and saw the world, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, you kind of... Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I liked to say, I mean, I, I came to playing music quite late. Um, uh, I mean, you know, uh, you know, not helped by sort of like fascist music teachers at school or whatever. Yeah. Okay. But like, I got a bass guitar when I was 16. I still like to play bass. And yeah, that was it. It was like the lightning rod. It was like the lightning rod. My world opened up. It became my university. Um, and I don't know, I, there's something I like about playing. I mean, I dabble in a lot of instruments. Uh, I play bass really well and lots of other instruments badly. Um, but there's something I love about if I play in a band situation, playing bass, because you're kind of standing on the street corner. You've got to have like one ear on the melody and the harmony, and you've got to have one ear on the groove, and you've got to knit it all together. And um, having a sort of wide-ranging attention span, that's the instrument that sort of suits. So I'm not egotistical enough to be that's, the lead. That's almost, that's almost double-jointed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the heck are you doing in Berlin? Well, okay, I moved here 10 years ago, originally for like four months, and then one thing led to another, and I'm still here. <laughs> uh -huh. um, I was coming over and doing gigs in like the mid-2000s, um, meeting some cool people, hanging out at some cool places. And it was good that time when things were getting a little bit more difficult, a little bit more controlling in London because um, I've been quite involved in the 90s and 2000s with free parties and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, and the more adventurous side of the dance scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and, of course, those opportunities were drying up and also, like, you know, things are getting more restrictive in clubs and stuff. And, you know... What kind with, of, what, what kind of uh, restrictions were... Well, I find like, you know, I find it in Britain. I, I mean, one thing I love about living in Germany is like, for the first time in my life, um, I feel like I'm treated like an adult. You kind of, Britain is a very paternalistic society, I find. Um, and that comes, that's enshrined in the way the government runs and talks to the people and stuff like this. And the fact we have this queen. Um, yeah. This queen. Yeah. And we have uh, this American president. God, <laughs> yeah. Okay. But it was like, you know, um, it was, you know, when you go to clubs, uh, you know, the legal pressures that clubs are under are tremendous. And with the rents and stuff in London, it's, I don't envy anyone running a club and I really admire them for doing it in this climate in London. Um, but I remember going to a small base one of the small basement clubs in Dalston that was around and mm. it was small I mean a dance floor probably no bigger than my room which is about 25 square meters and and there was like a bouncer in each corner with like you know earpiece oh, on boy. hands crossed in front of them the funny thing was it was a really dark room they all had sunglasses on and I'm thinking well you're not really going to see anything are you but I'm thinking man you know there was less supervision at school disco in the 70s my dudes you know what I mean <laughs> uh, <laughs> there the was night vision glasses you little did you know <laughs> oh yeah probably and, and so um yeah, I thought, you know, and I'd always liked the idea of living somewhere else at some point in my life. Berlin was coming here. It's always a city that's kind of fascinated me from China. Uh, what club space are in, that inspired you uh, in Berlin to keep you on board there? Oh, club space. Well, I mean... I mean, I suppose the fact it's just become such a sort of magnet in the scene and stuff like that. Um, Are you playing often in Berlin? Not so often. I was playing more often a few few years ago. But then the the sort of people I'm playing for, the music that I'm playing for, they kind of um, were more in the minimal thing, went another way, stopped doing parties. And I wanted to get sort of away from that back to more to the roots and um, so yeah I haven't played so often in Berlin I think the last time was um, 2016 I, I mean I haven't done so many gigs over the last years 
uh, when I came here, stuff like this, you know, it comes a point when you move somewhere, um, you know, you need to take care of the business and, you know, you need time to take care of the business and kind of like put music on a back burner so you can bust across sort of thing. So I kind of had that. Uh-huh. And-, um, and I was also playing in a band. Um, I brought my bass with me when I came out here. The band Houston. name was? Um, the band was called Ganskur. The, the drummer was Gans living where I, where I first lived. And they were a band with that, and he invited me to their gig. And then the next gig, they had another gig, and all of a sudden the bass player's gone off and decided he's going to play bass in a band on a cruise ship for lots of money. So um, I kind of like joined for like one gig and kind of like stayed for about four years and did an album and played Fusion Festival and stuff like that. And, oh, amazing. Yeah, that was quite good. I mean, it was quite cool for me because I just had to play the bass in that band. You know, the keyboard player was the guy who wrote the songs. And um, so in that way, I didn't have to worry about that. I still have my creative head free for my stuff. Um, but it was certainly good getting back into the bass. Yeah. So it's safe to say that you um, started doing music uh, late 90s? Well, uh, I mean, I started playing in the mid 80s. Mid 80s, sorry. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah, I mean, by the early 90s, I've moved to London, joined a band down there, and then, yeah. And that, at that time, it was more professional, right? Or, or just casual, uh, passionate, passionate thing? You could say it could be more professional. I mean, you know, the band I was in the night. getting booked and getting paid. That's yeah, we were getting booked, we were getting paid. But of course, when you have a band, you have massive overheads as well. Rehearsal oh, rooms, storage space, all the rest of the stuff. And, you know, we had a bit of interest from record companies and stuff like that. And then when that kind of finished, um, me, a couple of us in the band joined forces with a guy who one of them had already been working with. And then we kind of did, basically went right into the dance music because the band I was playing in the early 90s, we were kind of like a mix of industrial techno and, you know, rock. You know, we had big guitars, stuff like that. But we had a, you know, it was all built around groove, you know. Um, And then started doing techno, stuff live stuff and do we did a, a run of free parties in london in the end of the 90s um had a small label and all the rest of it um we were doing remixes at the time when you could earn decent money for doing remixes and then when that all finished i kind of like um i was still doing music whenever i could but then i was working I had to sort of, you know, get some money in. When we ended, we had a small studio and everything. When it all ended, we had debts and whatnot. And I was touring, working for bands on the road, doing backline mainly. And then started doing music again. I suppose um, when I got my first laptop, and it, I could take, you know, reason in the laptop, it was great. Hold on a minute, that's my studio, more or less, in a rack and I can do this on the tour bus, this is great. Um, and then I started doing a lot more music again and playing. So Reason is your software a weapon of choice? No, not no, not now actually. I, I well, you know, discovered Ableton Live quite early on because a friend of mine, an old friend of mine, started doing these laptop jam nights down in Brighton where people could ah, just jam. I heard about this. And this is yeah, called, yeah, yeah. What, what was it called? Laptop jams. Laptop jams. And we were doing it like from 2001 to I think about 2004, 2005. Did it in Brighton. Um, did it in, did a couple at the ICA in London. And, you know, played in the V&A Museum as well. Did one in there. But like um, early on, kind of around the first, just after the first time we'd done it, um, Ableton Live popped onto the market. And we thought, oh, this, this looks quite good. And I started, I've always had Ableton like on the computer. And then I suppose it became more of um, composing software when you have MIDI capability from four upwards. 
and that just changed the game really because it's it was the first music software I felt that put the musician in the driving seat rather than the studio engineer. Uh, okay, right. Because you think about that's things true. like Cubase and Logic. Uh, Logic, you know, they come from the era when like the only people who could afford that stuff were were studios. And so, you know, the engineer would learn how to use it, you know, in his strange language. Um, <laughs> but, you know, even now, you know, you think how powerful Ableton is, and even now all the important functions are sort of like, you know, two mouse clicks away maximum. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I kind of used that, but I, I went back, I was in kind of like an all software environment, then a few years ago I thought, you know what, I want to start getting back into machines again. So mm. the kind of whole thing is a vibe. So I kind of have a hybrid live setup where I have a Dave Smith Tempest and the uh-huh. Roland JX03. And then live, Ableton's just a manager, really, because in that I have like three tracks, three racks of numerology, which is a software modular sequencing software. Um, that runs in either MIDI or CV for hardware or software. And I use it to sequence the JX outside the box and to sequence um, a couple of synth emulators I run inside the computer. And then there's only a couple of tracks of audio these days. And then the rest of the rest of it is the machines, you know. So uh, yeah. I saw this snippet at Free Rotation mm. and I guess I saw maybe four different machines, three or four different machines, but what was coming out of those machines was really nice, incredible. If this is truly a improvisational plan, um, question is, how do you obtain that skill set to be confident enough to go and release what's in the head of your creative mind? It's kind of, it's a combination of things. A lot of playing. Um, I mean, back in the 90s when we were doing stuff, like, you know, we had the Atari running Cubase and everything was constructed, you know. You couldn't really do a jam. With boxes, you can. Uh, Ableton, you can. Really, it's a case of I have lots of the like, patterns, the baselines and stuff prepared, rough outlines and stuff, but then how it all fits together, I don't really know. You kind of know where you can steer it, where you can't steer it with a range of like pre-prepared bits. If I want to whack in a couple of extra parts really quickly on the Tempest, I can do. But yeah, a lot of practice, a lot of jamming. Okay, what comes from the Tempest? Uh, well, mainly all the drums okay. and a lot of bass and the synths as well, because I mean, the wonderful thing about it is it's a synthesizer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got oscillators in it, you know, it'll do bass lines, it'll do lead lines, you know. You can even use it as a six note polyphonic synth if you wanted to. Was but, it a yeah. good buy? Do you enjoy it? Uh, for me, it is, yeah. I mean, it's a Roger Lynn designed the sequencer, you know, he's done the MPCs and stuff like that and did the Lynn drum. Yeah. Um, Good work, and it kind of yeah, it is. I know a lot of people. A lo- people have a love-hate relationship with it. You know what I mean? But it's it's a real instrument in that when you bang up against its limitations, it sounds musical. Uh, whereas a computer just spits out digital noise. You know what I mean? It's like when you overdrive a guitar amp and stuff like that. When you push something beyond. Just still be in the realms of, yeah, I want to listen to that, that's good. Um, it is, it is, um, it's a deep machine. Uh, and But it's got, I, I just love the groove of it. It's kind of like, um, it, it's like having a, it's, it's like having John Bonham and Tony Thompson in your band, and they're two of my favorite drummers of all time. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that's, that's sophisticated, huh? <laughs> but you know just that it knows how to lay down you know you i love some machines some drum machines i tried a few out before i bought that and that was the most expensive option by a country mile you know what i mean um it's like deciding like "Mm, do i want to buy a golf gti you know the fast ford fiesta or this Aston Martin over here. Mm, I'll buy the Aston Martin. Uh, 
when I was at Free Rotation, the atmosphere is an amazing atmosphere and anything could happen. If you're creative, then when you go to Free Rotation, it brings out even more from you. Do you agree? Yeah, well, that was always the whole idea of it. I mean, Stevio and Susie have always done their little parties and stuff like that. And they did a little party in a in a out of bound centre on top of a mountain, which I didn't go to years ago, which they called free rotation. It was just one night. And then I remember he, Stevie and Susie had a party at their house in 2006, and. They invited me down to play, and Stevie O played, and uh, there was Tom Ellis and Leif played, oh, yeah. and most of the core of the residents, we all played there. And like afterwards, like the, mor- the morning after, when we were all sitting around the kitchen table, pops of tea, and we're all like, yeah, that was a really good night. You know, how is it when you go to festivals? You know, we only, you know, we all sort of had the same problem. We go to festivals, we only maybe hear about three hours of music in 24 that we oh, like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Stevie, I was like, said, well, I've often thought about doing my own festival. I've just never talked about it because everyone thought I'd be mad and I can't do it on my own. And then, like, we all sort of went, we'll help you. And from that moment on, like, it was game on. Um, and, yeah, it's kind of grown from that. Um, but you know, we all like you know music that goes a little bit further, uh, be it you know either in a technical musical level or just goes further in a sort of emotional level. Most of the artists that he's booked for free rotation have such a very special, uh, independent sound that you just don't get it in some of these uh, huge places. Are there any unforgettable moments? Yeah, unforgettable and amazing moments that you could point to? Yeah, yeah, I mean, there are sort of every year. I mean, last year there was the big Circa live performance on the Sunday night, um, which was great. They just I mean, gave you goosebumps, gave you goosebumps. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, that's it, that's it. That's well, for that's me personally, um, uh, I remember when, like, um, I mean, the first time DJ Bone played, like, he played it quite hard that year. He went through the crowd like a tsunami. People were like, they were like, oh, yeah. I didn't think Detroit techno sounded like this. He's like, yeah, right. And for me, like, I mean, I'm always interested in the live set. So I remember when Magic Mountain High, which is Juju and Jordash, they kind of, well, they had the idea of combined joining forces at free rotation one year and next year, there they go. And I often think, like, you know, they were a band that was, they're, they're kind of, as an outfit, they kind of, tap into that vibe and there's always a bit of free rotation vibe whenever I see them anywhere else but 2012 they played a set on a Sunday night which was incredible they recorded it and they released it on workshop uh, the live at free rotation um, disc came out in 2013 um, and that was amazing and then we had Shamal hieroglyphic being a couple of years ago two oh, yeah. or three yeah that was that was just insane it was <laughs> insane I, 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 I stage managed there as well as like having you know being one of the yeah, yeah I remember that so yeah. you need a sound check no how much speed you need what, what space you need just put the lids on them decks it's like you know did, did anyone supply us with decks that got lids on because normally they just come in the flight case yeah. and like so we found some lids and he just pulls out his iPads, connects them in, boom, boom, boom. And then he's got this amazing software, completely different software in each one. And it's like, wow, that was that was insane. That, that was a really good set. And then there was a year when um, Hezel Audio, who always used to like, they always like playing Room 2, which kind of gets a bit more of the bass music in it, uh, the, the, the second room. Uh, and that's smaller than the main, the, the, the room one. But we don't, there's no hierarchy, they all have equal billing. But there were so many people wanted to see what they were doing on one Sunday night that the security, security had to put a one in, one out policy on the door. 
I don't know. I remember, I remember going out and I'm thinking, what the hell are they doing in there? I went out on one moment and there was a queue of people going through the lobby of the hotel and out the door into the car park like a bird guy. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> Wow. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Let me ask you something. Um, who is J Lab, and when is he not embracing music? What is he doing? Can you paint a picture? What else do you enjoy besides um, riding my bike? Um, you know, um, got a Kleiner garden in the last couple of years. Sharing with a couple of people, so uh, getting into growing a bit of food and stuff like that. Um, yeah, riding my bike, like reading a lot, you know, listening to music, mm-hmm. get about, but yeah, I mean, music does take up quite a bit of my life. Any, and, any significant other? Um, yeah, I've, my partner, my partner, she's very tolerant of the music, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, uh, cause like, uh, yeah, it'd be pretty hard if she wasn't. <laughs> But I think you get to that point in life, you get to that point in life, and I've been doing this a long time now, where you think, well, you know, that's it, you know. Uh, and you find that, you know, I've, I've been in those moments, like a lot of people are thinking, God, you know, should I just sack this or whatever? Do something else. But, like, um, you can't. It's always sort of there, you know. You, um, yeah. Where do you see the future of underground music? club scene and its culture what do you see it in? it's really interesting actually because it's it ties in with like an observation you made about free rotation mm-hmm. in you know the, like the, the the status of the artists you've got and i feel that there's like it's funny because i watched a resident advisor podcast discussion thing the other day and they were talking about this and saying like you know i mean it <clears throat> It depends, really, I think, uh, on what happens in various locations. Because I think for an underground scene to thrive, for people who don't do the mainstream music, um, but, you know, can have a significant audience, it depends on where there's venues for them to go and hear that. Which has, you know, been an increasing problem in London. London has lost so many music venues for live music, as well as like, you know, um, clubs over the last sort of 10 years or so. And and that's the thing, because then when you have a financial pressure, especially in a city like London, the rents and the rates and the licensing fees, you know, your overheads are massive before you even start. Uh, And there was a couple of people said in this discussion, well, <clears throat> the people who seem to be on the squeeze are like the middle tier, which is they where they three or four of them agreed where the really interesting music is, not with the massive superstars up there, but with that middle tier. And then you've got the up and coming local talent, and a lot of clubs will book one or two big headliners, fill the rest of the stuff up with local talent, and the middle tier, you know. Uh, and the ironic thing is a lot of DJs play probably, you know, there's, you know, a significant number of DJs who play to a lot of people who still play a lot of underground music, you know, I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, people say, oh, Burgoyne's commercial. And I say, well, insofar as it is a massive business, there are, you know, a thousand people in there every weekend without fail and they stay there for like 36 hours or what have you. Um, a lot of the music dancing to that's pressed up in batches of 500 mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. so you know they're not hearing chart hits you know right, exactly but I'm very appreciative that there's music for everyone and we are in a we're in a position where um, we are now calling it mainstream which is whatever we want to call it but I think that opening the eyes and ears of the listener and party goers is getting stronger and stronger and 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 people are making their own choices now of what they like and can find 
different things yeah. that they really wanted. So that's a that's a great thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And um, for me, I've kind of accepted the fact that that's just the way it is, and and there's music for everyone, which is also good. Because that's how I found you, for instance. You know. Yeah. Things that I like and things that I may not uh, that I hear a lot that I want to hear something else. I at least you can go on the net to find it. And then there's podcasts and different portals around which you can find them. So that's also great. If you were a promoter, what would be your line? Live. Live. Um, I think just because, uh, well, I saw a couple of years ago, Underground Resistance, the latest live thing, Mad Mike and Flash. And that was this kind of mad hybrid live thing that they're doing. It's really interesting how they do it. But that was pretty mind-blowing. Um, it's one. Uh, yeah. Uh, and as well, when I was a live act, I mean, Octave One, I mean, you know, they never failed to deliver. You know what I mean? They just like, bam. Um, Stevio and Susie, I mean, like, Stevio's music I love. He's come um, a long way. He's come a long yeah, way. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he's got some mad stuff there. A lot of stuff is recorded off from that. Um, and, yeah, it, it's fluid, it's limbic, it, it, it's techno, and it's, you know... It's so funny when you say techno, most people... The first thing that comes into their, their head is that, that boom, 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 fourth and it's funny because like you know um sam shackleton who, who's a friend of mine he said to me i said you know you know you can't yeah i mean you can't really sort of his music he is who he is he's sam shackleton it's like rare you know there's only a few bands people like that you know define their own sound totally but like for him, he said ultimately, because I just think of it as techno, because I think of it all as techno. He goes, whether it's house, drum and bass, dubstep or whatever, he goes, you know, we make it on machines and computers and whatnot. And, you yeah, know, right. because it's techno. <laughs> In the same way you can say rock and roll, one end you've got little Richard and Rolling Stones and the other end, you know, you've got, yeah, well, I wouldn't say Metallica, rock and roll, um, you know, Let's talk about the recording uh, that you uh, recorded for us to, uh, for our show today. Yeah. What can you tell us about your thoughts doing the improv? Was there anything particular you were? It was a kind of like I thought I'd give her a, a kind of representation of kind of like where I'm at, sort of live at the moment. I did put a couple of new things in there that I've been working on, new ideas, new themes and stuff. I loaded, put a couple of new sounds in the computer and programmed up some more stuff in the machine. So I put some new stuff in. And I did think about, I did do like three or four, five recordings, different sort of approaches and stuff like that, uh, different dynamics, you know, but that's the one out of them that I felt kind of fitted, you know what I mean? Okay, what machines were used on this? Dave Smith Tempest, Roland JX03, my Mac running numerology and live. Got three controllers controlling the Mac. What goes on in there? A couple of soft synths in there as well. And then all going through my Allen and Heath desk. Pretty much my sort of live rig, which I have, and yeah. The soft synths that are you using? Um, I use uh, the ones uh, that I've got in there at the moment. Um, there's that little Tau, Togeo Audio line. They make um, a 101 emulator. They do a free one. They do a really hot-rodded one you can buy. I downloaded the free one a few years ago. It's great. Um, it sounds quite on the nose. I don't use it that often, but there's one There's one kind of, there was some stuff that I thought, yeah, that's the one. And then the other one is uh, um, a Prophet 5 emulator. Uh, yeah, I love uh, the Prophet 5's m my favorite synth, I think. It's a synth that gives me goosebumps. Any modular sequencing at all? Um, yeah, no, I have these three numerology racks and they control the, the 101, the Profit emulator and the JX03. Um, so I've got different uh, things in their patterns which I then select from 
you know, my Ableton controller. So then select through Ableton with those. Um, so yeah, I mean, I love that because it enables me to break out of the fours and stuff like that. I mean, the only criticism I have of the temp is to say that compared to those electron machines, um, it doesn't do polyrhythms within the sequence so like where you can have a different instrument in your drum pattern in a different time signature. And you can do that in the cup machines now. Um, not really so important for this kind of stuff. You know, that just generally all runs on four. But, um, you know, I do like to have something going in there, break out of that four thing, even in repetition or stuff like that. I like mm -hmm. to use odd number of repetitions and stuff, um, being able to modulate chord progressions and stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's a nice system, numerology. It's a really, really good system. And now the guy who designed it has now made a hardware version like that you can put in a Euro rack. It's absolutely insane. If anyone wanted to hear you, they wanted to find you, where, where might they do that? Oh, I've got, um, I've got a SoundCloud, sort of forward slash J minus lab. Um, I've got a SoundCloud. Uh, and I also am on Bandcamp now. Um, I finally got on Bandcamp. I'm just sort of testing the water there at the moment, but I've got a couple of plans for, I'll self-release something on Bandcamp at some point. And what about this Unoiki? Unoiki. That's a, a label collective that was started by Dr. No Joke here in Berlin. And there's a few artists involved in it. Um, mainly all the artists who've released on Uno Wiki. And um, there's a Bandcamp store for Uno Wiki, a lot of great music on there. Not, the whole point of that was like all the producers involved in that project uh, kind of make dance floor music, but this was non-dance floor music, you know, do something for the head, for the chill out, however, you know, or, if you want it, you know, or dance music for seven-legged spiders, but, you know, not our hats <laughs> and stuff like that, you know. So, um, right. yeah, there's some good stuff on there. Um, I really like the, the, the sort of releases that were done. You know, um, you can buy, buy the digital stuff on Bandcamp and also the CDs. There were limited runs of CDs done with exclusive artwork and that. We have an artwork designer, yeah. And it, it reminded me so much of Factory Records when we started it because Jonathan, the designer's great, but like everything always came late, just like it always did with Factory Records. And was like really elaborate packaging, you know, self-assembled self the packages, you know, 50 of them. We only did limited runs of CDs and digital on digital. But yeah, some good music came out of that and that was good. Um, that was good. So then, and they can also find Jay Lab on Facebook, on Twitter, yeah, Lab on Bandcamp. I am on Twitter as well, but I don't post so much on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I mean, social media, it's like, you know, I will, I will nail it one day. <laughs> with, with that said, everybody, make sure you go check out J Lab, John Dickens. Um, it was really, really a pleasure to have you uh, on the program and to talk to you all things music and um yeah and uh, we will listen in to your wonderful sound recorded exclusively for the decisive live series podcast here thanks a million for your time yeah, and have a great too. great summer and yeah speak to you soon